So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life and the multifamily legacy podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. Today's show is going to be really good. I'm super excited to have a phenomenal story of achievement and really uh, kind of a unique situation. So uh, listen, if you're out there and you're looking for multifamily knowledge, I just highly recommend that you, if I could point you in any direction, start back at the beginning with me. Listen to episode one through six, by far the best six episodes I've ever recorded. And it is the meat and potatoes that I created this podcast with. So if you've not listened to episode one through six, do that. And then when it's done, and if you like it, man, get on iTunes and leave me a five-star review. I think you guys will find it highly motivating, highly educational, and will just propel you to want to go out and crush this business. I love this business with the bottom of my heart. It is something that can it can change your life forever. So my next guest is going to talk about doing a deal just straight with the seller. And it's kind of a unique story of how it got put together. My guest is Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts is the founder and CEO of Sterling Rhino Capital. And he's been doing this full-time as an entrepreneur and investor since 2007. He owns and operates a sales and marketing company that when he acquired it, it did about $7.2 million of sales and he grew it to $24 million of sales. So Chris understands business, how to make money. He's got a proven track record of building successful businesses. And then he's also, he owns about 2,100 units. So with that said, I want to get into this interview because it is amazing. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show, brother. Corey, thanks for having me, man. Man, I'm so excited to talk to you and uh, really about what we're going to get into later on in this episode. But for everybody that doesn't know you, you've done a hell of a job building a business and love to hear kind of what I call is your hero story. How'd you get here, bro? Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity to share with the audience. And uh, I've got kind of a unique story, I guess, you know, starting out at a young age, I struggled a little bit and kind of worked my way through life and had that entrepreneurial bug, if you will, at a really early age. And as I developed my businesses and my sales career, I just realized that I needed my capital to work hard for me. So I went through the process of, you know, trading a little bit of land, single families, duplexes, and then realized that in order to scale, as you know, as you well know, I needed to get into the larger multifamily space. And I found that that was where my strength was. And that's what we're building today. So I have several businesses, but multifamily is my primary focus. When we talk about multifamily, isn't it the funnest game in town? I mean, beautiful. I always tell people, it's like, if you only knew how good it gets, right? Like, in the beginning, it's a lot of work, right? It's a little bit stressful. It's a little bit nervous. But when you get on the backside of it, 
and you're starting to really make some money, it's something that like I can't describe it. I mean, can you put it into words for you for how it makes you feel? Well, you know, it, I love the way you set that up because it, it is hard to quantify, right? You guys do a great job of showing the lifestyle piece, like the back end of things. You know, there's more to life than just say money and, and toys and stuff. It's about your family. And I really like that about the whole legacy concept. It's like, hey, we're creating legacy wealth. And I think that's something people miss is they focus too much on, okay, I've just got to make a bunch of money. And they don't realize that it's really not even about wealth. It's about cash flow, right? And that's what really creates the freedom that allows you to do the things you love, be it like you do, teach other people or spend time with your family traveling or whatever. And the money just becomes almost like a secondary piece. And that is that non-quantifiable feeling that you can't get until you're there, right? And I just, I love that about multifamily. It can do that for anyone if you work hard and on the front end. Yeah, it really can give you a life that no other can live. And for me, it was real. I mean, I had my first mentor. That's what he showed me. Like, that lifestyle was possible. And up until then, I never thought it was. I was like, dude, I just thought you're supposed to work, 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 work. Right. And um, and that's how I was built. And honestly, I still kind of maybe work too much. <laughs> but I've got a great team that pulls me back and says, hey, smell the roses. And what I, as I'm getting older now, what I've realized that I actually like smelling the roses. <laughs> I like... Yeah. I don't need to do a bunch of deals a year. If I do one or two to three, I'm happy. And uh, But all you do is just change the deal size, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny, Corey, a while ago, you mentioned mentors. I had a great mentor in life at a, at a fairly early age and didn't have a father around a lot. So it was awesome that he stepped into my life at the right time. But one of the things I realized with it was maximizing the return on time right? Not your return on money like we're taught or not taught, like say in school or in life. It's that return on time. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like, I don't have to do 20 deals a year, right? And I don't have to work a hundred hours a week. Now you might to start to get there to understand and learn what you don't know. But then once you figure it out, it's like, wow, now it's about leveraging my time and my skills and putting people in place that can help to leverage that as well. And that's how you all get there together. Uh, it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah. So when we talk about leverage, let's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to jump in. Uh, we're not going to go exactly where I want to go, but I, cause I, I love this conversation about leverage. Leverage, how big is your team? Like, how do you run with your team and how big is yeah. it? And, and uh, so we have, I, I have several businesses, um, love the multifamily space and put a lot of time and energy there. But I literally today work two full-time jobs and people say, oh, no way. You know, no, I am not the guy watching reruns of Game of Thrones. When my work ends, I go to work. And on the weekends, that's when I catch up on work. So it's not like I'm just dying to get to Friday so I can go spend time on the beach. I enjoy that stuff. But honestly, I'm really, really enjoying building this now. So I do have two two team members though that have retired in our full-time multifamily along with me. Uh, one of them recently exited at 43 years year, uh, 43 years old from a great corporate job and he's full-time. So I have five team members basically now at this point, acquisitions, asset management, admin, I'm the CEO and founder. And then I usually do the 30,000 foot view stuff. I oversee everything. I make sure the underwriting's right before we go in and things of that sort. So I can do all of it from ground up and we'll probably talk a little bit about that later, but I have a great team in place now that helps with that along with some virtual assistants and such. So, Yeah. So, and, and what I really wanted to just let the audience know is that in the beginning, it's a party of one, right? <laughs> And then as you start having some success, you start, or I say it's not always a party of one. Sometimes, you, you know, most people in this game start with a partner, right? Or yeah. somebody that brings, some, brings something into the game with you. Yeah. And then you can do that, but, but you're not paying them a salary, right? Yeah, you know, you can't and, be uh, afraid to do that. You can't be afraid to partner. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Just choose the right and partner you, with the right values, right? Yeah, exactly. And then as you start to grow, you're like, okay, now I'm going to add a couple 
pieces. And you said it really good. It's like acquisitions, asset management. And like you don't have to have a big team to run a multi, multi-million dollar business in the multifamily real estate. Yeah. It really is that team of five or team of six and a couple of VAs, you can get there yeah. like in pretty short order. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, Corey, you mentioned, you talk about team and I have these conversations a lot because I, I don't have a mentor program, but I teach people a lot and I get calls from a lot of people because they'll hear me on podcasts where they're like, Hey, can I reach out to you? Cause of personality, right? You're like open and laid back yeah. and approachable. So I have these conversations with people and it's like, Oh, the chicken or the egg. Do I raise capital? Do I find the deal? Do, do I, do I build a team? Do I, do I build software? What, what do I do? And, and I always tell them, it's like, look, first of all, you got to start with your value proposition. Like, who are you to the world? What's your strength, right? What's your superpower or whatever it may be? People say that. And then from there, you can start to figure out, okay, well, if I'm not good at spreadsheets, well, I really do need somebody to come along. Even if they're not going to be a partner in your corporation, maybe you contract with them or you set up an agreement. Like, hey, you're going to do these things. I'm going to do these things. Let's see if it works out on this first deal. And if it works out, maybe we build that out. If it doesn't work out, great. Well, then no harm, no foul. We can go off on our own. But it's okay to do that. You just have to be open-minded. That's great, Chris. That's great advice, too. It's like, uh, you know, don't do partnerships. Do a deal. <laughs> Let's do a deal. Yeah. See if it works, right? Yeah. And then we can see if we want to do another deal. And maybe that's where that is. But and don't get just all of a sudden get hitched, right? Right. Give yourself some freedom to be mobile and like, ah, that, you know what? I don't think that worked out the way we wanted to. So... We're gonna let you do your thing, but and and also VAs. Like so, you've talked about VAs. Gosh, darn, VAs are some of the best hires I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, because they can do. They like a lot of those VAs are already trained in data. Absolutely, they like data. Yeah, you know, Corey, if I could touch on VAs for just a second, to to your point. So there are lots of types of VAs, right? You get people saying that, like T- Tim Ferriss is like amazing with VAs. Like he he coined the phrase VA, right? It's like. And you sit there and you listen to it and you say, well, VA, well, I got to hire someone, say, in the Philippines. What if they don't speak the language or, or whatever it may be? Well, you have to allocate VAs to the certain process that you're trying to implement. In other words, if you're dealing with something that you really require someone in the U.S., right? Like, let's say you're going to use Upwork for somebody who has a bachelor's yep. degree who's still going to college but wants to work for you three hours a week or whatever. Well, that's great because they're approachable. They're in your same native language and they can probably understand the basic spreadsheets and things of that sort. But if you're looking for basic social media stuff or data entry stuff, that's easy to outsource and you're going to save a lot of money there. So you really have to understand that place that you're in and what type of skill sets you're trying to fill. And you might pay a little more, say, going through Upwork versus outsourcing directly to another country. But it is a great way to get a lot of work done. It really is. It's been phenomenal for us. And what, it, what it's actually done for my company, too, is it's made us got better in our training, right? So uh, as you start to grow and yet people, systems, and processes become more uh, important, you know, than ever. And how do we cook the egg, right? You know, and well, you got to have a process for it. And when it's written down and, and then you can have other people follow it and you get the same looking egg then you know you've got it right. If you're getting different eggs, then oh, maybe go back to the process. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk about, and we're talking about processes. You just did something really cool where you took a 112-unit deal that you ended up kind of almost firing the brokers and just did it directly with the seller. Yeah. I, I would love to hear about that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
so first of all, and I just have to be careful because we love our brokers, right, Corey? I mean, we we love our relationships with our, our brokers. brokers. We we love them. Although there are there are some brokers maybe that might be a little long in the tooth and, and on their way out, and and it's a different scenario than someone who's young and hungry and ready to roll and rocking. And again, not to mislead people, just because you're old doesn't mean you're not a hustler. But it's a, just a different animal, right? Uh, different teams yep. and different companies. Here's what I'd say about this particular deal. Uh, this deal came to me as an off-market deal, uh, and there was a bunch of brokers involved. It was a very unique circumstance. It was an owner-operator, 35 years. They built it in the 80s. So it was already kind of a unique situation, something you really aspire to find as uh, a syndicator, right, is a deal that's off-market, seller, original owner. Those are great. So Man. when it came along, we underwrote it, looked at it. The original called the diamond in the rough, yeah, isn't it? buddy. Yeah, I mean, no, that is that is the that is the what a cat, a cat, what do they call that egg? That Fabergé egg. I mean, that is like the yeah the holy grail. So you're you're looking for that. You find it great, but but that's really where the work begins because it's likely that there's not as good a records being kept. It's likely that there's a ton of deferred maintenance. You know, when when you hear someone who's owned it since the '80s and they still own it and they're in their '80s, obviously there's going to be some challenges, right? What I did not realize, though, when I got in on this deal, because these were not my brokers, was that these brokers' specialty was triple net retail, right? They weren't multifamily brokers. So, yeah. So, again, something really unique is the deal came to me through someone else who needed some help. So, I came in on the deal. I didn't know the brokers. I didn't have the relationships with them. So, I, I didn't understand the lay of the land, right? And and I got in there and realized quickly, well, wait a minute. I think there's something here. I'll give you an example. They were asking 5.2 million. They had it under contract at okay. 4.8. Okay. I, I saw the deal and I thought, well, that that seems okay, but this deal won't work at 4.8. So there's there's got to be give there somewhere. Everyone that was originally in this deal, including the broker, said, well, there's no way they're going to budge off this price. And I said, well, why is that? You know, you, you have to have a reason for putting a property on the market for a certain price. There's a reason. You know, we don't just pipe dream. Well, property's worth 5 million. I want 20 million. You're never going to get that. So I'm looking at it, I'm underwriting, and I'm thinking, okay, the only way this property is going to work is sub 4 million, right? But everyone is adamant about there's no way that's going to happen. And so I, I was going round and round literally, Corey, for, I don't know, about four months on this deal. Okay, we're sitting here messing around. We've got a contract. I'm just, I'm telling everybody it's not going to work at this. They've got to budge. So short story, it falls out of contract. And I asked one of the original guys that brought me the deal would you mind if I step in and took it over? Just took over the whole thing. I'll put the earnest money down. I'll, I'll deal directly with the brokers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I did that. And then that team sort of just went off and, and I took it over and, and brought my own team in. Okay. Because I was brought in piece of the pie. I was not the original founder. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I've, I've got to deal like they this happen, too. Look, right. Okay. They happen. Yes. I mean, you, you realize some people, yes. they might get into a deal and go, okay, I got it. Because you're trained to go, you know, put LOIs in and get a deal under contract. But not all deals fit all syndicators and not all seals, syndicators fit all deals, right? So anyways, they, they went off and, yeah. and uh, I took over the deal because I knew there was something here if I could just get to the decision maker, which was the seller. You just got to right. work your magic. Yeah. You just had like, hey, listen, he still wants to sell and I want to buy. I just got to do something that's right. Right. And here's something that I think gets lost, Corey, which we will go back to the broker thing. Brokers are important. They're a relevant piece of our, of our puzzle, right? But- you got to remember that, and you know this because you're good with people, it boils down to people, right? It's always people. 
And if you can understand what motivates and inspires someone on the other side, and if you can get to that, which your brokers are the gatekeepers, oftentimes you can't get to that, you can solve tremendous problems. And that's what I was hoping to do. How can I somehow get to the seller? Because I knew there was something that was missing. How do we go four months and we don't have a T12, right? How do we not have like all the documents we needed after four months and it falls out of contract? So I finally get a hold of the broker and get him into a position where I said to him, look, we're probably not going to close this deal if I can't deal directly with the seller. And he agreed. He said, the seller's challenging to deal with. The seller broker was saying, he's throwing his hands up. We can't get anywhere. I said, let me have a crack at him. Let me, let me talk to him. So he reaches out and the seller calls me. We're out of contract. We sit down over the phone. We negotiate. We go back and forth. I sent him an LOI. He won't sign my LOI, even though he agrees to it. But he's willing to initial certain things on the LOI and send it back without a signature, like almost like halfway acknowledging it. I said, okay, okay, fine. So we went round and round, back and forth negotiations, and I end up flying out there and sitting down with the seller. And the seller was the son of the owner, okay? So I wasn't dealing directly with the owner. Her husband had passed away six months before. He was negotiating on her behalf. Okay. So this is part of why there was so much loss in translation. Okay. Right. Yes. Because they didn't really want to disclose what the real issue is. All the stuff. They don't want to share bank statements. They don't have any digital records. Well, how am I supposed to underwrite this thing and get it to my price point, even though I had a general idea, without actually right. diving in? So when I got there, it's funny because we had a, we had a pretty good rapport. And the brokers at one point said to me, gosh, Chris, I, I literally feel bad because you're doing all the work and we're getting paid. And I said, well, I really appreciate you acknowledging that. You guys did plenty of work. It's just someone needed to bridge this gap and everyone's throwing their hands up. So let's just get the deal done so everyone can get paid. Cool. So that was cool. And like I said, we need the broker, right? Yep, yep. So I sit down with the owner and I realized quickly that he doesn't know what a T12 is. He doesn't have P&Ls. <laughs> He kind of has a rent roll, but he has to build it. It's not like he has any software to do this stuff. And we're asking for these documents for four months. And I'm thinking, how can we be asking for the same thing? that Chinese, what do you call it? You trip over the rug and you don't fix the rug. You just keep tripping, <laughs> right? Yeah. So until I get in front of the owner literally and start having this conversation, I realize he doesn't know any of this stuff. So I said to him, here's what you need to do. This is what a T12 looks like. If I give this to you, can you get this data? Yeah, I can try to get the data. Let's start here. Do you know any CPAs? I have a bookkeeper. Great. Can you have them come down to the office and just go through some of this paperwork and get these items for a P&L? I just need some form of a P&L. Build out this T12. Here's a template, blah, blah, blah. And then all I need you to do is just certify these things so my lender will, will come along. Oh, what do you mean certify? You just need to sign it. That's your data, not my data, right? Because they, you know, bank frowns on that. You don't want to give them your data. So we start working through this process. And Corey, I have photos and videos of this place. You would not believe this place. I mean, it, let me, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard's trainer lived at this place like in the 80s, right? Oh, wow. Like, yeah, famous quarterback, can't remember his name. When he was a kid, he lived at this place. I mean, there are photos on the walls. There was hundreds of photos all over the walls, piles of paperwork. Like, you can't imagine how much of a mess this place was. And here we are trying to dig <laughs> out financials, right? It was absolute chaos. So I'll stop there for a second, just see if you have any questions about that. No, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the story. I don't want cool. to interrupt because cool. it's a great story. Yeah, it was wild, man. So we're going through all this stuff. The building is kind of a wreck, which is where the opportunity is, right? I'm looking, I'm going, okay, there's deferred maintenance here. There's toilets there. There's this, that. And I'm seeing opportunity. But I'm also realizing that I really need to get down at a, quite a lower price. you know. And, and by the way, I skipped over this. We started this process well before COVID, but then we go into COVID. 
which caused me to have to renegotiate quite a bit because right of course, all yeah. the unknowns all the issues they weren't signing so we got under we got we got under contract at 3.9 down from 4.8 something okay originally okay. 5.2 yep. I knew I could make the deal fly. But now you're doing but now you're in your due diligence phase too. So now you're really seeing oh yeah. now I'm seeing yeah. everything. Now I had right? been out there twice before that. So I had a good feel for what we were gonna come across, but you can't yeah. really I mean hundred and twelve units until you yeah. get through them all, dude. Like all, all yeah. bets are off. So again to digress, I think we were around four one and what I did do to COVID and the deferred maintenance. And how, how much did you put uh, for initially in your CapEx budget, do you think? We initially, well, we played back and forth because the cool thing about this property, Corey, is you could play this thing three different ways, right? You could lipstick it, and I'm going to explain why in just a second. You could partial yep. renovate, right? Or you could full renovate, like say half units under budget. Here's why. Yep. The rents were $550 a door. Okay, Market rents were $785. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, right? I mean, so immediately, aside from even just renovating. Just do that. I, just run them, just yeah. raise your rents a little, right? And you're still going to be well under. So I knew if I could just get it down, I had three, four different ways I could play this deal, right? So, so yeah, yeah. The, the, the idea was let's go in and at a minimum partially renovate all these units and do some of the deferred maintenance. So when you say, when you say um, CapEx budget, we also took about 150000 for deferred maintenance, knowing there was going to be a lot of toilets and holes and things like that. Just stuff, yeah. Just stuff. So that's why we ended up at 3.9 because I was at 4.1. I said, you know what, if I can get another okay. 200 for deferred or so, that's good. So. Yep. Okay. Yeah. No, well, and so now, now you're going into it and you said COVID hits and then that's fear for everybody actually, probably, right? Sure. Sure. Fear for us, fear for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, when, am I going to lose the deal? Am I going to lose my contract? Yeah. When we were, when we were going into this whole thing, it's like, okay, we got COVID. Because this is inheritance now at this point. Oh, it's. Now that you know that too. Yeah. It's, it was a mess. Here's what, what saved us, Corey. And they're not operators, obviously. The uh, people that are the, the oh, no. son or whatever that took it over is not, no. has no clue, right? No, th no, no clue at all. Right. Not even no clue at all. But here's what we had, Corey. We had a personal relationship now developed between me and the seller. And yep, that is- because you could talk to him and, and he just needed to know like, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on. Help me out. Yep. I, I, I just need to make sense because I got brokers telling me one thing, right? Yep. And the brokers are trying to look out for their best interest, but the brokers are not always trying to sell a deal for what it really is. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And you just needed to come in as the guy to say, listen, I'm not here to rip you off. I'm here to transact, but I've got to show you what you have. Mm-hmm. Because right now you don't even know what you have. Yet a broker maybe tell you, but I'm telling you, he ain't telling you right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? And I, I shared some YouTube videos specifically on one of these negotiations I went through with him where he lied to me. And I'm just going to run you through that. So, And he literally told me he lied to me, which is just funny. You're staring a seller in the face. And he's like, yeah, I basically lied. So yeah, it's like, oh, but the reason this is kind of cool to talk about is because you don't hear this stuff. Like all you hear is, you know, brokers and you close a deal and there's a certain structure you go through, but dealing in this way is totally unique. You just don't normally have this opportunity. So after I, yeah. I flew back home, I went through the due diligence. I ended up flying back because we were getting close to closing the deal. And we sat down and we were grinding through all this stuff. And we had this little challenge with GFCIs. I needed him to install GFCIs in all the doors because it was a lender requirement. He said he would do it. Then when I got out there and, and he started looking into the cost, he said, well, I'm only going to do 20 of them. I said, well, I need like 330 of them or whatever. And he said, well, I'm only doing 20. I said, but you said you'd do 30. And he said, well, and he paused. And I said, so are you basically telling me that you're lying? And he goes, he stopped for a second. You got know, that uncomfortable, weird vibe, right? He goes, yeah, I basically lied. 
<laughs> and I thought, that's just so rare that you have somebody that just says, yeah, yeah, basically I lied to you. So I'm calm and collected, right? Which again is why brokers are great because they, they are the liaison. They are the barrier, the firewall from you uh, destroying your own yeah, deal, right? Blowing up. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? So so I, I said to him, I said, Boom, yeah, I got you yeah, and I'm rolling, baby. Oh my, I'm going to kill you. You're jumping over the counter. No, so- You so, son of a bitch. Right, right. I can't believe you. So I, I said to him, I'll tell you what. I said, I went through the buildings and there are some other challenges. So let me put it to you this way. And I said to him, why don't we do this? Why don't you give me, and we went back and forth on a number. He tried to play me with, well, my mom isn't going to want to lower the price. And I, was, I said, okay, tell you what, let's not have her lower the price. I said, why don't you replace two roofs for me? Because it was a bunch of roofs that need to be replaced. Just replace two right. roofs. I'll take care of the GFCIs and we'll call it good. And I don't think he could calculate the numbers very quickly because there's a lot that goes into CapEx. You need to know your numbers, right? But I knew it was probably yeah. going to be you know, $14,000 to replace these roofs because I knew which roofs I wanted replaced. So I was going to tell him the right. ones that had you know, plywood damage and all that. Anyways, he agrees. I said, okay, I want you to sign this. So I wrote it up. I hand wrote it up, right? I want you to sign this, that you're replacing two roofs. Yep, he signs it. I go home. We end up closing. Well, here's what's funny about that little last minute negotiation. And again, you really have to know your numbers. You have to be calm and collected, right? You have to be professional. Yep. Someone tells you they're yes. lying. Don't get angry. Just, hey, okay, maybe we can find another way it. to solve the problem, right? Not a problem. Yep. But you better know your stuff ahead of time. Otherwise, you're going to fumble, you're going to look stupid, you're going to lose credibility, right? So when we got yep. home, what was funny is I ended up gaining 50% more, right, in equity or savings, if you will, by the negotiation that he thought he was winning me over on because he lied to me. But because he didn't know right. his numbers, he ended up giving me twice what he was going to give me. If he would have just said, yeah, I'll just do, do the, the GFC. Do the yeah, let's, no problem. <laughs> and, and that's why it's so important to just take your time, be professional, know your numbers. But he thought that was hard. Where he was like, "I can just hire the, I can hire a roofer because I know the roofer, but I don't know the guy that does the other thing." And I have no idea that's what that costs or whatever. Yeah, that's what he was saying. Yeah, I have no idea, right? right. And so it was like, well, confused mind. So, yeah, I don't want to do that. But yeah, at the end of the day, it just cost him some money. Yeah, right. That was not my intention. My intention was to go there, seal the deal. But then it was like he starts playing the numbers games, and it's like, look, don't nickel and dime me, man. We're talking about a five million dollar property here. Like, I mean. And that's what's funny about this guy. He would nickel and dime me for $50 stuff, and then he would make a mistake on a $15,000 item. So anyways. Well, there you go. So there's who's, who? Uh, you know, that's the, uh, I was the professional. But at the end of the day, this is called deal making. Yeah. Deal making 101. And once you get in front of that, if you can get in front of a seller, A, it's usually magic. Matt, like I've always had some deals where it's like, all right, I call the broker up. I'm like, listen, I just need you to set up a call with me and the seller, okay? Just please do it. We'll get through it. And and then it always happens. Like, it, we always find a common ground. And the reason is because we can finally talk straight. Oh, yeah. Hey, listen, and uh, what I've learned, too, is a lot of times you got to tell people that you're there to, you really want to buy your asset. Like, listen, I know you want to sell. I really want to buy it. I'm, le I'm not trying to not buy it. But we got a we got a couple things that have come up, and we just need to solve them. Absolutely. And, but I'm the guy I want to buy your property, and sometimes the seller, they just need to hear it. Absolutely. You know, Corey, it's funny that I, I'm glad we had the opportunity to talk because I, I really like the way you run your business, just your attitude, your laid back, your lifestyle guy. It's like family, and you you know, and you don't see that a lot in the business. People kind of they they keep their guard, not just multifamily, but in business in general. There's these facades that go up, and it's like, hey, we're all just people, right? It, it's we're people. It's people and processes, and we do our thing. And let me give you an example before we finish on this particular deal. I closed some duplexes once, and 
The owner was an original seller. He was 74 years old. And he told my broker, who was 78 years old, actually, I've known her forever. He said to her, I want to meet this guy. This was the seller, not me trying to buy. And I thought, why does he want to meet me, right? So we meet in the property and we start talking. And he says to her after we're done, he says, you know, I really like this guy. I'm going to sell him my properties. And I thought that was so odd. That's the first time I ever had that happen well before this deal, right? And it made me realize that if you do your business with good ethics and integrity in mind and you're straight up with people, you can really create a win-win. And what was funny with that guy was he offered to do seller. This was not even on the table. He even offered to do seller financing, right? Because he wanted to save a little on taxes. He wanted to. So what's funny is I had seller financing lined up. And I actually ended up bringing only because I didn't want him as a lien holder on the note. I ended up bringing someone else in who wouldn't do that and made a 9% return on going in on with these deals. But the point is, I guess, Corey, is when you have a chance to let your personality shine and you can create those win-wins for everybody, it resonates and people see that. It opens up doors that you didn't even know that were there, right? right? Yeah, it really is a people business. Like you said earlier, Chris, is that the more that we will understand that game and really, I mean, it's all aspects of it, whether it's with the brokers, those are people. You want your brokers to be like your friends, you know? And But sometimes your friends got to know when they got to get out of the way a little bit, right? Let me just put, I'll put it together, guys. We all can still get paid, but someone needs to negotiate this thing so we all win. Because at the end of the day, what do brokers want? They want to get paid. Sure, sure. That's their goal. Absolutely. And if you can show them that you can do that and help the transaction... What does that do for your next transaction, Chris? Sure, sure. Right, with that broker. Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you, Corey, it's it's funny. So we had a little bit more back and forth in this verbal judo negotiation by the time we finished, but this is good. So first and foremost for your audience, what I'd like to tell them is this sort of education, going into a deal that was manual, I can't even tell you how many hours, like hundreds and hundreds of hours went into this deal. But manually calculating the rent rules and finding that this guy had two different receipt books. One was his receipt book and one was, I mean, it just goes on and on. There was all these little, one was the oh yeah, 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 you know, right. And it was just, it went into this whole deal. And I, I came out and finally said, look, I just need to reconcile, right? But because I'm good at numbers and I understood the process, I was able to dig in. The, the education you will get, you cannot pay for by digging into a deal like that, right? Because then you land the property and you understand everything about this property and how it works. You find all the skeletons Everything, right there. everything, right? So what we ended up doing was I put a unique clause in this deal that saved us a little chunk of change at the end. And, and here's why it was relevant. So there was a little fire at the very end of the deal in one of the units. And he started giving me this song and dance about no permits, this, that. I checked with the county. Nope, no permits required. Okay, great. So I let the thing go through. We closed the deal. I get in there and I come to find out that no, because the power company shut it off. There was actually some permits required, but the city didn't know it because they didn't check with the power company, whatever. So it ended up, ends up costing us a little bit, right? To get that figured out. But in my clause, in my PS, uh, PSA, I had that said, if you have a certain amount of vacant units or bad debt, basically late payments past a certain amount of units, I get $3,300 per unit, okay? That worked really well for us because he got a little lackadaisical at the end there as I figured he would with COVID and everything else. And I kept pushing him, are you collecting? Oh yeah, yeah, but we don't want to create a bad reputation in the community with this. I'm like, hey, I'm just asking you to just collect your rent. I mean, you're you're not kicking people out. 
Come to find out, we end up getting an extra $25,000 bonus as a result of that clause, which helped easily yeah. offset the thing he tried to hide at the very end, which was the little fire damage issue. So that worked out. So uh, I want to make people to note that this, and this is, I think, human nature, especially when you're dealing directly with a seller, is little white lies <laughs> that show up a little bit more. They tend to show up, brokers are usually good at trying to get that out. I mean, the brokers tell white lies as well, right? But dealing with usually a direct to seller, it is very hard for them to want to admit, you know, like, oh, that's what we did, right? Because, you know, especially when like with that, when you have an owner operator for 20, you know, 30 years, it's inherited and that person has no idea what's going on or the game. And here's the other part of what you did, Chris, who I think is super smart, is you still play your legal game. You still have professionals all the way through your process where you're gathering the information. You still got to crunch it. You got to make sure that you understand the financials. Even though the seller doesn't, you've got to understand your numbers. Absolutely. And uh, and then also your contracts. And then there's warrants. There's all kinds. I mean, good legal attorneys draw up these contracts for a reason. Yeah. With all those little pieces because we know what's going to go on a lot of times when people start getting seller coma. Absolutely. You know, Corey, something I think you'll really appreciate is, and this is that personal part of this business. When I went there, I, I want to say it was the second time or something. I was out there like five times, but the second or third time I was out there, when we first started this whole due diligence process, I said to him, I need a lot of records, right? I'm going to need a lot of records. I mean, I have stacks, literally stacks of documents, like from just rent collections and things, all handwritten, right? I said, I need your help. And he said to me, he looked me in the eye and he said, I'm not going to do your job. He's like, if you want this stuff, you go get it. And he pointed at this train wreck like this. It looked like the tax code on steroids over there in the corner. I mean, it was like 40 billion documents. I'm not kidding. And I said, with it's like National Lampoon's oh, Vegas vacation. I'll take some of the oh, green, oh, <laughs> some of the yellow. Oh, buddy, There was like sticky notes on sticky notes on sticky notes. Like, the, like, crazy. So, and I said to him, I said, hold on a second, stop right there. This isn't about you doing my job or me doing your job. This is about you and I working as a team together to close this deal and get to the finish line. There is no, I told him there is no ego here. I don't want you to work any harder than you have to. I want to help you get to the finish line. And we absolutely need each other because we are here in front of each other. If this wasn't the case, we'd be dealing with brokers still, right? I'm like, so let's just put our heads down and get this job done. And what did he do? I swear to you, he turned around and he started digging through and started pulling files out right after he said that. That's that's the key is just looking people in the eye and saying, let's both put in the work together. Yeah, we're here to do something. Let's just do it, right? Absolutely. Great message. Great message for the day. I, I love just to... And on that, let me let me uh, get some come a couple of power questions sure, sure. out here to you. So, any new books or anything that you're reading that's been ins inspirational for you lately? Yeah, uh, talking to strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And the reason that's relevant, Corey, is not just about real estate and things like that. You got to think about mindset and people and business in general. And Malcolm really talks about some of the challenging issues we've had throughout the last 10 years and how you really need to understand other people's perspective in order to, to win them over in your way of thinking. And it's just an amazing book about people and the way we view people based on what we see, not the understanding of those people. Great book yeah. for this kind of topic, actually. Yeah. I always like to ask people a financial question as far as raising money. Mm -hmm. 
What has been your biggest gift and thing that you do in raising capital? Well, a couple of things. I have a, a real personal touch on the capital side of things. I personally deal with all the investors, even though we outsource some of the data. I, I take the phone calls, the follow-ups, the emails. Anytime anyone needs to reach out, I personally take that very seriously, um, whereas it's not the case sometimes, right? So we do that, and then we have really, really good systems to make sure we're keeping in contact with them. You know, automations and emails and things like that. But we also put a lot of content out to keep them engaged. Yeah, touch base with them, let them know what's going on mm -hmm. in the marketplace, things like that, right? Yep. And then last thing is just more inspirational. What would you tell anybody that's looking to start into the multifamily world, this business, what would be your advice to them be? Well, Corey, when I started building businesses and just sort of developing who I was, I, I built out a mantra. And, you know, it's I am not a victim of my environment or my circumstances, but I am the results of my actions and my attitude. And I don't have fear I don't have time for fear in my life because I'm out achieving my dreams. And I would say for anybody, whether it's I'm putting my business plan together and I'm putting it on the wall, or as simple as I'm writing the age 51 on my wall so that I know that that's when I want to retire or I want to make a million dollars or I want to build a mantra so I can remind myself. Make sure that you figure out your value proposition to the world, your strengths, and then tell yourself, be it a mantra or a saying on your wall, how important it is to keep focusing on that to get there. I would I would give that advice to anybody. Oh, man. Love it. Love it. Love it. Guys, just want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Keep listening for great content just like Chris just gave us. Listen, he just hit it the nail on the head. And how I end every episode that I've ever done is, guys, the power of your mind is everything. What you can do with it, you can move mountains, you can create wealth, you can create legacy. But it starts as a dream and then you've got to believe it. Because if you believe it, you can achieve it and your paradise is possible.